A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst-case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado Smith, and I am the alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the Haitian Revolution. Here's what you need to know on December 6, 1492. Christopher Columbus set foot on an island in the Caribbean, naming it Hispaniola, or Little Spain. Spain rapidly established a colony and exploited the island's resources, and the indigenous people known as the Taino declined significantly in population due to disease and violence. Two centuries later, Spain ceded the western third of Hispaniola to France, and the land became known as the French colony Saint-Domingue. By the 18th century, Saint-Domingue was the most profitable colony in the New World and supplied France with massive amounts of sugar, as well as coffee, cacao, indigo, and cotton. France's astounding sugar wealth relied entirely on African slave labor. And by 1791, a staggering 87% of the colony's population were enslaved people brought from Africa. The slave conditions in Saint-Domingue were considered some of the harshest in the Americas, and the mortality rate of those enslaved was so high that the colony struggled to import enough Africans to meet the labor demands. When the French Revolution erupted in 1789, white plantation owners in Saint-Domingue feared the revolution's call for freedom and equality would jeopardize their access to slave labor. At this point, the colony was made up of five distinct groups— there were the white plantation owners, who owned most of the colony's slaves, and the petite blancs, or white artisans and shop owners. The three remaining groups were of African descent, those who were free, those who were enslaved, and those who had run away. Many of the free black people were multiracial, with both white and black heritage. They were forced to serve for three years in a police force created for arresting fugitive slaves. While they were allowed to own property and in some cases had more wealth than the Petit Blanc's class, those who were multiracial were barred from political power. Back in Paris, revolutionaries began discussing a new constitution that would include the total abolition of slavery and suffrage for free black men. In response, 
white plantation owners in Saint-Domingue began calling for the colony's independence from France, claiming the new constitution would cripple their fundamental right to own slaves. Although the independence movement failed, in 1790, France agreed to exempt its colonies from the abolition of slavery and universal suffrage. Outraged that France's Declaration of the Rights of Man would not apply to the colonies, free people of color revolted. To quell the rebellion, France granted political rights to all free blacks and multiracial people who were born of free mothers and fathers. But just a few months later, the slaves of Saint-Domingue rose up in rebellion. When France responded by rescinding the rights of free blacks and multiracial people, they also took up arms. Enslaved and free black people continued to organize and fight over the next several years, making pacts with the British and Spanish in neighboring colonies in order to put increasing pressure on France. Facing invasions from both Britain and Spain, the new Republican French government officially voted to abolish slavery in all French colonies in 1794. By this time, a military general named Toussaint Louverture had emerged as the leading figure of the freedom cause, transforming the slave rebellion into a powerful revolutionary movement. Born enslaved in Saint-Domingue, Toussaint became a free man and began developing prominence and wealth over the years before beginning his military career. In the early years of the revolution, he had allied with Spain, but with France's commitment to abolish slavery, he switched his allegiances to France and led overwhelming victories against opposing British and Spanish forces. By 1801, Toussaint had conquered the entire island of Hispaniola and made himself governor general for life. While the island remained a colony, Toussaint's constitution abolished slavery, declaring equal opportunity and freedom for all races. Despite Toussaint's overall loyalty to France, Napoleon Bonaparte, the country's new ruler, had ambitions to reclaim the island. Napoleon dispatched thousands of French troops to capture Toussaint and restore both French rule and slavery. One of Toussaint's generals, Jean-Jacques Dessalines, led the revolutionaries at the Battle of Vertier on November 18, 1803, where the French forces were defeated. On January 1, 1804, the nation was declared independent and renamed Haiti. Fun facts, aka death stats. At the time of the revolution, Haiti produced 40% of all sugar and 60% of all coffee sold in Europe. Haiti accounted for one-third of the entire Atlantic slave trade, and the French were importing 40,000 slaves per year. By the end of the 18th century, Haiti's population consisted of 500,000 African slaves, 32,000 white colonists, and 24,000 black and white mixed-race people. Around 75,000 white French people died during the Haitian Revolution, a dramatic contrast to the more than 350,000 black people who were killed. On January 1, 1804, the entire island was declared independent under the Arawak-derived name of Haiti. Haiti emerged as the first black republic in the world, the second nation in the Western Hemisphere to win its independence from a European power, and the first country to abolish slavery in the Western Hemisphere. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. Fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is writer Alicia Carroll. Hi, Alicia. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. You know, just before we started recording, Alicia told us she doesn't, uh, she has not just one backup on her recording device, but two. And She's I just want to welcome phone. you. Yeah. yeah. We feel taken care of by yes. you. Yes. <laughs> That's the goal. You know, it's, it's, I have backups on backups on backups. I've lost enough uh, mm -hmm. in my life <laughs> to mm -hmm. know that I should protect <laughs> things that are important. So, <laughs> so welcome to the show. Um, and Alicia, we like to start off the show by asking our guests, what is something that's recently alarming you? What is something that's keeping you up at night? Uh, what isn't? 
Rebecca, um, <laughs> an easier question. Uh, recently, it's definitely just been like climate change. Like, I feel like I'm in like a very deep um, climate anxiety hole, which is partially self-induced because I think I had like a very safe bubble of ignorance and then I started reading all these books and I'm like I'm living literally on a sinking ship in Los Angeles <laughs> <laughs> yeah what am I doing uh so I feel like that's kind of been un- inescapable um but you know there are countless other things but that's just what's top of mind <laughs> yeah that sure will get you um Los I- Angeles definitely should not be a city no mm-hmm. it's no. it's built on a desert and I always think of like property prices and how ridiculous it is that it's such an expensive city to live in where, you know, it's only a matter of time before it is uninhabitable. And all the houses are built into the hills, like really precariously built into it. just feels Mm -hmm. like one good rainstorm, which apparently we're going to have this crazy like century megastorm will just wash everything down (laughs) into the ocean. (laughs) <laughs> the fish it too. feels like the yeah. the entire city is like a bubble that's gonna burst it's yeah. like it's yeah. like the tech bubble but like a city it's a big experiment <laughs> yeah uh, it's only a matter of time yeah uh mm. anyway <laughs> no that'll get you i'm trying to think what is a good transition here <laughs> because mm. <laughs> hard we, to find maybe hard we need to, to revolutionize how we live in los angeles I there love you go it. Ooh, good well one. i love it uh, so, I mean, let's dive right in because this one is dense, a lot to cover. And yes, this is one of those historical events that have massive amounts of context that we just simply won't get to in right. the 45 <laughs> minutes of discussion. So, And yet a lot of familiar us. themes that we've yeah. talked about on True. previous episodes. Absolutely. And we always have a guest expert later on who will clean up our mess that's right (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh but in terms of you know the framing of this episode who's to blame right we're trying to figure out who's to blame for the inequality that led to the haitian revolution right Mm -hmm. this is this was one of the uh i believe it was the first successful uh slave revolts in in the uh, you know Americas, and so so you know what we're really trying to figure out here is who's to blame for the reason why there even needed to be a slave uh, right. a revolt right. Right. a revolution. Okay, let's start off by putting French colonial slave owners. <laughs> sounds right (laughs) i don't know i feel like i'm not entirely sure that they should be on the board kind of unclear well rebecca it's on you to make the case really (laughs) all right let's see what i can do here in the 17th century the french british and dutch joined the competition and expanded the economic and geopolitical reach of their countries by relocating their citizens and transporting Africans to the Americas and the Caribbean. The slave-based plantation system created valuable agricultural products and trading opportunities while disfiguring the lives of millions of Africans. This is according to Professor Jeremy Popkin. Like white plantation owners in the American South, slave owners in the French colonies participated actively in the French Revolution. They demanded liberty for themselves, above all, the liberty to decide how their slaves and the free people of color in their colonies should be treated. The slaves were their hard-earned property, they argued, and a fair-minded government could not even consider taking them away. If the French National Assembly took up the issue of slavery, the colonial plantation owners threatened to imitate their neighbors to the north and launch a movement of independence, or else to turn their colonies over to the British, France's traditional enemies. What a time. What a time (laughs) that must have been. Um, So, go on, Alicia. I was going to say my favorite like poll quote from that section is uh-huh. just like hard, hard earned property. Oh, yes. God. It's like it you worked so hard to 
like I mean I guess abducting people is like pretty difficult I mean I've never tried it but I'm just <laughs> do you work for the government are you actually a secret spy I, I've never personally tried to do it right. but I imagine it's not like easy it's no. not like you're in a van with some candy it's like a lot of no. people sure um mm-hmm. but just <laughs> the concept that that is the hard work that went into acquiring the property yes is very- oh funny to me that stood out to me too and i thought immediately my mind went to we have to put some kind of i don't know if it's just white supremacy or like this notion that like of dehumanization like for you to think of another person as like hard-earned property which is so un-inhuman like it's like they don't even have a living breathing soul it's like yes mm -hmm. that there's room for something like that up there let's put it up uh what what did you say was the dehumanization of humans (laughs) just dehumanization yeah in order to uh acquire wealth right because it was all about money Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i mean well it's about what the economy right it's like the economy is like a really like bland way of being like no it's this is going to ruin it for all these working families it's like (laughs) but what are you doing in order to have that life I, I think what we're sitting with here, and it is, it is a theme that pops up often in on the show, is putting money above human life, mm-hmm. right? And this is the most abhorrent of all of them that we've come across. Mm-hmm. Mm. So I, I I just think it's, Obviously, it's a very heavy. Um, the, just but just to put up something on the board, you just put money or at the or or, or, or it's greed, or right? Greed. Yeah, yeah. Let's just get greed it, up there. Sure. <laughs> I don't know. Clayton's not happy know, with it because <laughs> I feel like greed yeah. has other kind of other connotations. Like, I mean, you wouldn't it have. It. Sorry, go, Alicia. No, no, I interrupted you. Go ahead. I, mean, I don't even know what I was going to I'm, I'm trying to like, because I feel like, is there greed without money? But yes, I think you can be greedy about like possessions and other things. But I'm just trying to think what encapsulates it more anyway. Well, also, like what I was going to add to that is like it's it's money, but it's also property because like this is like height of imperialism. Like, right. you know, the westward expansion, like if I was going to put any, you know, mother forker on this board, it would be Columbus. <laughs> it's like, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> you know, talk about original sin. It's like, mm-hmm. it, you know, nothing, none of the, I mean, I'm sure it would have happened eventually. It's all like a sliding right. doors of like, which horrible person is going to set foot on, you know, in the, but it's like, it's not the West Indies without, you know, right. Columbia and West India trading company and like all of that stuff. But it's yes. like, partially it's like almost some like warped version of manifest destiny. It's like, let me just like acquire, like gotta catch them all in terms of like land. Mm-hmm. And then like, like if that. you stumble upon the gold that is like the sugar crops, then it's like, oh, this place is useful. And that's why right. Haiti was so like overblown versus like the other uh, islands in the area. Um, so do we put like ter- territory greed, like territorial greed or you know, like ge- geographical greed? Western expansion. You just put Columbus up there for sure. Yeah, He's for sure. <laughs> I put him up. <laughs> um, yeah, it makes you feel like when, I mean, it's just gross. Let's go on. Let, let's put the French Revolution up on the board. Um, this is according to Professor Julia Gaffield, uh, from, written in the Washington Post. France had constructed one of the most violent and extradive colonies in the world, and its revolution neither pushed back against that system nor worked to improve it. Though France would go on to abolish slavery, it did not do so until 1794, years after the Haitian Revolution began, and only because of Haiti's uprising. In practice, the French Revolution did not provide inspiration for revolt in the colony so much as opportunity. With a divided ruling class, enslaved men and women coordinated an uprising that led to military victories and eventual freedom. The myth of French inspiration also overlooks the fact that France was the only nation to re-establish slavery after its abolition. So this is a little bit confusing because if we are uh, deciding who's to blame for what led to the revolution, the Haitian revolution, then the French revolution was not i mean that was that was what led to the the haitian i mean that was what provided they're saying the opportunity for the haitian revolution to take place because of the 
um they were just like preoccupied in the in the in france so i guess what i'm saying is that's there, there's not really necessarily a connection there between this basically uh 90 percent uh, enslaved uh, nation which mm-hmm. is what we're sort of focusing on right yeah but i think it's just a good way to talk about what was happening the context of the yeah, situation yeah no i mean I, it is yeah. yeah um french revolution uh, so it's just interesting how this is happening in france right and they're fighting for equality in france but it's measured because they don't there's a lot going on and i think there's a lot of fear happening uh among uh, amongst the french because at least the french uh aristocrats because they 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 know they're 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 coming after them uh but it's the inequality really um and the racial inequality because they are saying essentially um it's okay for here uh, for us in France to fight for this equality but the colonies are different right. right yeah no they made a distinction there well that speaks to the power of these like <clears throat> you know these men who are far away who have like some kind of influence to be like you're going to ruin our economy like you know you you don't have any idea what's going on here so like you stay there run your gut run your government there, but like, let us be here on the Island and do like what we need to do because we're sending you a lot of good sugar and coffee and yada, yada, yada. Do you still want that? Like, it's not going to be the same if you do this. So hmm. I don't know. It is funny because they reestablished slavery. Right. So it's like, and especially given just like the, you know, the, the fact that the, it, I mean, it's not like the American revolution where it was like, Oh, it's like a tax thing. And like, you know, we are stopping our feet and we want our land to ourselves. But like France was very much about like wealth and power inequality, mm-hmm. um, like the source of that revolution for it. So for them to be like, oh, you know, these people are technically free, uh, but we want to reestablish like the economic disparity between the classes right. because it benefits us, you mm-hmm. know, the people who just freed ourselves from you know mm-hmm. a, yes. a, a monarchy it's just the irony of that it's like mm-hmm. you know yes look behind is... you before you step <laughs> that's a good point i mean i'm trying to think of how to put that up on the board it's like um mm. uh how would you put that not like not being able to see in yourself the irony of the moment yeah, or something well, yeah it's sort of like a freedom irony <laughs> <laughs> Freedom. I like the phrase freedom irony. I guess it's, it could also be like hypocrisy, I suppose. Um, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I guess that's it's what it is. Simple. <laughs> the freedom irony is so much more fun. We'll do, we'll do both. I'll do the definition of hypocrisy is freedom irony. <laughs> oh, just inventing words over here that uh, already exist. That's what we do. Let's talk about the French National Assembly and put them up on the board as well. Because, the, you know, when we talk about reestablishing slavery, uh, this was a big cause for that. Exploring the French Revolution said the Caribbean colonies were quick to respond to the outbreak of the revolution in 1789. So the white planters of Saint-Domingue sent delegates to France to demand representation at the new National Assembly. To quiet the unrest among the powerful white planters, especially in Saint-Domingue, the Colonial Committee of the National Assembly proposed in March 1790 to exempt the colonies from the Constitution and to prosecute anyone who attempted to spark uprising against the slave system. But the steadily increasing agitation threatened the efforts of the National Assembly to mollify the white planters and keep a lid on racial tensions. The March 1790 decree said nothing about the political rights of free blacks who continued to press their demands both in Paris and back home, but to no avail. A big part of this, too, is that the people who are ruling aren't living where it's happening. Um, there, There's a bit of a disconnect from... The French National Assembly, who's, you know, creating 
sending these decrees over mm-hmm. uh, to Saint-Domingue and not really understanding the situation. They're just hearing complaints. It's almost like they're a... Uh, Com- uh, like a, a hotline or something like a complaint hotline <laughs> and they're just <laughs> doing the minimum to quell like who's who's the angriest at the moment who's the mm. most upset at the moment and that that you know obviously resulted in the back and forth of is slavery abolished that it's abolished then it's not then it's abolished then it's not Clearly not a great moment uh, of, of, of leadership mm. uh, coming from France. Hence also why, the French, why it's important to talk about the French Revolution, because I think there was a lot going on. Kind of throwing a Band-Aid at the issue. It's interesting because like the re- revolution, even like reinstating slavery, like all that stuff, it reaches so much further back than that. The revolution, everything, like you said, like provides context and opportunity um, you know, the soldiers were trained, like all of that stuff, you know, because of the war. So it definitely wouldn't have happened without that. But also it's like the grievances wouldn't have been there if like the stuff before that had happened. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah I, that I feel sense. like that speaks to like, you know, uh, it's not just about whether you're free or enslaved. It's about like the corruption in the system or the systemic racism that's built into yes. the structure of it. So no matter, you know, like you can have a certain status, but that doesn't mean you have the same influence or same opportunity. There is like right. an oppression there. That is what, like, how do you fight that? That's like the next we're still doing that today. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want us to for not put up. Uh, we I feel like we have to put systemic racism up on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, important. Um, oh, chestnut. <laughs> Good old just a classic. <laughs> <laughs> well, trust me, we've sent it to the alarmist jail. Mm-hmm. It keeps getting out. It keeps getting out. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> that and capitalism. What is True. happening? Oh, should we man. put should we put capitalism on? I mean, there's a lot of economic talk here. Is that sure? I mean, I think board. it'll probably eventually get folded into colonial sure. imperialism. I mean, but free labor. If you can if you can trick people into just getting free labor by calling humans property, then that yeah, that has something to do with capitalism. Mm-hmm. I would say. <laughs> uh let's also put uh club masiak club masiak up on the board this is from dr sarah benharesh benharesh's course riots rebellions and revolutions the club masiak was an organization based in Paris that supported slavery since its establishment in the late 18th century and thus likewise opposed abolition. For its members, abolition was considered to be a serious and negative change in social order. Supporters of the club disseminated their ideas and their political politics through deputation in Saint-Domingue and Paris, as well as through the distribution of pamphlets. Deputation in Saint-Domingue was both logical and effective since the white colonists of Saint-Domingue uh, saw abolition as an example of despotic power. I had to stop and, and uh, ask my and uh, Google what despotic means. So we're not above that here. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who are like me and don't know, it means typical tyrannical power. Okay. At the time, the club was a part of the lobbyist colonial movement in Paris aimed at influencing the opinions of government officials, particularly those within the Marine and the state general, who stood more to the center of the debate on abolition. The club Masiak attributed their opinions on slavery to liberal economic theory of laissez-faire economics. The club believed that the colon colonialists had the right to free commerce which included the use of slaves i mean where there's money to be made there are a lot of people willing to lobby right i mean that's just how money goes and so if you can get close to the power and decision making this money will affect that decision making mm-hmm. and they're printing money basically in um in this island mm-hmm. did they have money back then <laughs> 
What is it? I think we're talking gold coins, right? Doubloons. <laughs> Whatever coins they use yes. in Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes. That's what we're <laughs> yeah, they're the I guess it's that's back when people would bite them. You'd sure. bite coins. You, see if they're real. To see if they're real. <laughs> to see if they're real. Or if Not it was like made chocolate. of chocolate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's when chocolate coins were invented, so it's really tricky. <laughs> Yeah, you're, it's it's wealth, wealth by again pro- property and and that kind of thing, I guess, right? Wealth by racism, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's right? the whole thing. I mean, it's like <laughs> it, it's like we we can talk about money and money and how how it's about money, but it's also about racism, right? Yeah. Because it's it's about them feeling that they can they could do this mm. to mm-hmm. a certain race of people. Sure. And that not having a problem doing it. Yeah. And what's what, what's kind of intense to me is like just how blatant this is. Yeah. And this is just like literal people that they're talking about. Like there's just no nuance. Yeah. And it's amazing to me that it was so, it just seems like casual, like the way that they're talking about like the inhumanity of it. The fact that this isn't something we're just talking about all the time, <laughs> you know, that 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 is... So overlooked the, the, the reality of that situation, the ugliness. And I get it, right? It's ugly. Who wants to be, you know, keep, keep reading about it? But I do. I think we should. The fact that we aren't talking about this every single day is just so, uh, it, it's upsetting. It is a story that you would think that more of the world would like learn from because it's like the way that they treated. I mean, this particular, like America has its own issues with slavery of course but like Mm -hmm. the the story of haiti specifically is almost treating like the african slaves as like i mean they're an unrenewable resource you know which is just like something traditionally our you know humanity does not (laughs) pay attention to in terms Mm -hmm. of knowing that it's like not unlimited and so it's like when you're importing people like 90 percent of the island to the point where they can't they're worked so hard they can't even reproduce properly so then you have to keep bringing more people Mm -hmm. it's like it's like I think like that is like the inhumane like disconnect yes. that is like oh something was like so deeply wrong and it's right. like because it, it's just like extreme like to the point where yeah you know like they just had to keep farming people in it's just like how did you not even from an like a business standpoint it's like I didn't go to business school but it's like if you if you can't you're and it's I acknowledge um disgusting to speak of it this way but like if your means of production cannot is not sustainable, like mm-hmm. you just like any Wharton grad would be like, hey, let's like look at right. this. <laughs> There's a problem here. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And but 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 it's like they didn't even think it's it's the callousness with which they were like, yes. oh, we don't actually need to fix this because there's a whole freaking continent of people we can just keep bringing over because we want sugar. Mm. And I was just going to point out it's because we want sugar. <laughs> what I mean, is that? Is there a way this seems dark, but like, is there just like a room for like a, a willful ignorance among people that like they, you know, it sounds awful to be like, for people just like born and raised with this. So they just think this is normal behavior and never thought to question like the, like how gruesome it was, like as sick as that sounds, like how else do you, I don't know. And I guess I'm like changing my mind because what I think is interesting is like, while this was happening, like up in the Americas, people were getting scared that this was going to start a revolution among their slave population. So they were trying to like distance themselves from Haiti and what was going Mm -hmm. on there. So it's like, people know, it's not like we're Mm -hmm. idiots. Which it did. I'm trying to think it probably took maybe like another 30 or so years for it to happen here. Um, At least in any like large scale. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, they, they know it's that it's, it's yeah, it's willful and it's conscious. It's like, they know and they don't care. Yes. (laughs) They know and they don't care. Conscious. Yeah. Conscious indifference. Yeah. I, in in researching about this, I, I heard that they didn't want people uh, from Haiti to uh, move. They didn't want French people at all to move to the United States, specifically if they were coming from Haiti, because they wouldn't they, they wouldn't want to, you know, because naturally people would be like, well, what? 
brings you here? <laughs> right. And they would have to then respond. Well, right. there was a, a, a slave revolt that right. was successful in Haiti. And uh, that's why here, I, and yeah. I had to leave, you know, and right. that would spread panic in, mm. in, in the in, in the United States. So that to me says a lot. So this is something about control of information and I, uh, ideology and, and sort of control of, of culture and stuff like that too, which, you know, yeah, again, you don't like these, it sort of reminds me of like red scare tactics of like the fifties and stuff like that. And, and, you know, you, if you can, if you can sequester this to just, Oh, it's kind of happening over there. That's not us. Um, it allows for you to continue with this conscious indifference, which as uh, I like that term a lot. I like um, that you're saying control. I feel like Alicia earlier was talking about like power and the expansion. Like, I feel like there is like a, like a dominance factor, like, uh, you know, just like, I don't know how you definitely mm-hmm. phrase that, mm-hmm. but it's like, especially on the world stage, it's like, look at us. We are expanding. We are like economically thriving. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's like, this it's is like your publicity reputation. thing. Yeah. Too. Uh, 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 at the, on the backs of, you know, literal human beings. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to put up on the board. So we uh, must move on. <laughs> we must move on. I want to put up the execution of Vincent Ogie. This is according to Mildred Europa Taylor, Face to Face Africa. When the French Revolution began in 1789, the free mulattoes of Saint-Domingue began discussing the civil and political rights of free Africans, regardless of their wealth and education. While free men of color had become educated and some were wealthy property owners, colonial laws excluded them from voting and holding office, among others. Vincent O.G., was one of those free men of color who had become wealthy. In March 1790, the National Assembly granted full civic rights to all persons over 25 years old who had certain income qualifications. The French Assembly, however, left it to the Colonial Assembly to decide if the men of color would be included. They were excluded. By October 1790, O.G. had returned to Saint-Domingue and after realizing that the French governor had refused to remove the restrictions, he started a revolt. But O.G.'s army was defeated by the colonists. O.G. escaped and went into hiding in the eastern part of the island in Spanish Santo Domingo. In November 1790, O.G. was caught and sent back to Le Cap where he was executed by the wheel in the city's public square in February 1791. The image of OG's death angered many in France, and this influenced the National Assembly to extend civil rights to freeborn men of color in the colony. Yet, some plantation owners refused to abide by the new decree, and the enslaved, who were now more powerful than before following the frequent conflicts on the island, began a second revolt in August 1791, the Haitian Revolution. This eventually became the first successful slave revolt in history. Right. So he was the um, OG, and uh, there's Toussaint Louverture. 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 Right. Who, you know, of course, was one of the the most important people to lead the revolt. Mm -hmm. But I believe during this period, so during the beginning, beginning of, I would say, the pre revolution, Mm -hmm. he was still a slave. And he was not involved in this initial revolt. And mm-hmm. afterward was when he was clearly incensed and, and inspired to leave his slave master and uh, join the revolution. But the OG, th- OG cool. stuff was interesting in the sense that, you know, he was his, and just an example of like, again, here over in Paris, they're like, oh, the decree, which is like, if you meet these certain qualifications, then you can be free, which must have been just confounding at the time. If you were living in this uh, culture, in this environment, you're like, wait, what are the specific? It's like, so what do you have to pass? Like, is there like an LSAT? Are we taking a <laughs> test or what's going on here? Like, mm-hmm. how much property do I own or whatever? It just must have been really infuriating. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show that, like, all the old, I mean, this is what everybody's always afraid of, right? It's like, if you let them organize, they will overpower you. And, and, mm-hmm. and like, this first 
attempt, it's like, that's the only thing that was stopping them. It's like, they didn't have enough people because it's like, you know, people on the island, like did, you know, the, the revolution I think was partially fought on, you know, Haitian soil. And so like, it's not that they didn't like know how to do the thing. Like it was, it was a matter of like organization and like numbers basically, which is like when Toussaint came in, um, you know, it, it was, I guess, a galvanizing force to be able to bring more people together. But it's, it's like, I remember reading, I can't remember if it was, um, just the other day or it's, or I can't remember where I read it, but it's like, people didn't really like, like him. It was like, they'll follow him, but it wasn't, he wasn't like, beloved <laughs> you know right. he had some, like, problematic uh which is just you know politics you know it's like you, right. <laughs> you choose your your battles pick your poison but um you know like he still had some like problematic views but they're like okay you're yeah. like you're gonna get us through this and then we're gonna figure out what to do but then right. you know he was martyred eventually as well in the same way as as og was um which you know is never a good it's always like if you're in power it's like don't martyr someone that's a bad idea it never works mm. like yeah. <laughs> yeah it always backfires. we haven't learned that can... lesson <laughs> yeah no it's so true that will definitely backfire just don't give the other side pr- any kind of press to work with um and f- let's put napoleon up on the board let's do it this is according to lynn hunt and jack r Censor uh from age of revolutions the loss of Saint Domain Saint Domain blew up Napoleon's dream of a global empire. The French had barely managed to keep control of the island by agreeing to the abolition of slavery in 1793 to 794. The slave uprising in in 91 had destroyed many plantations, infuriated white owners who plotted with Britain and ultimately produced a series of talented military leaders among the freed slaves and many of the mixed race. Napoleon was determined to take the island back and in 1802 sent an expeditionary force to led by his brother-in-law to succeed in capturing Toussaint and dispatching him to prison in France. But it, it could not keep control as yellow fever decimated the ranks and the former slaves refused to, uh, to countenance a, a return to bondage. Mm. In 1804, the island declared its independence as Haiti, Giving up on plans of spanning the globe, Napoleon sold the vast Louisiana territory at a bargain price to the fledgling United States. Napoleon was also uh, the one who uh, captured uh, Toussaint and uh, locked him in a a cold castle and essentially left him to die. Mm Mm-hmm. And like Alicia was saying, martyred him. So Napoleon. Napoleon. <laughs> Gotta put Napoleon up on the board. <laughs> um, let's put the European empires and uh, the United States up on the board as well. Historian Julia Gaffield said, European empires in the United States tried to sabotage the success of the revolution by withholding official recognition, restricting trade routes, levying heavier trade duties, and in the case of France, forcing Haiti to pay for the independence that it had already won. The responsibility for many of Haiti's perceived failures lies squarely in the hands of foreign nations and empires. The question, was the Haitian Revolution successful, asks us to judge the revolution from a perspective that centers the European and U.S. version of sovereignty and democracy, but scholars need to challenge this perspective. In his book, The Haitians, A Decolonial History, Jean, Jean Casimir asks us to reorient our perspectives away from the colonizers and the state in Haiti and instead look at the Haitian people to evaluate the success of the Haitian revolution. revolution. Mm-hmm. Um, for years, I believe, I mean, uh, I, I want to say it was for 40 to 60 years, the United, uh, the United States didn't even um, acknowledge that Haiti was a, a country. Yeah, right. Um, so I think uh, not only were they trying to take on this, what seemed like an impossible task, it might, I, I can't imagine what it must have felt like, but not only were they trying to do that, but they were also doing it against all odds because no one was acknowledging um, right. what they had done and what they had overcome, mm-hmm. including uh, 
nearby uh, the, the, the nearby countries who could have given offered support or it's uh, amazing that they did it considering it all of that you know like the small like island nation against like all these superpowers across the globe are able to like the perfect storm of like political events and their like organization able to actually like it's kind of inspiring that they weren't just quashed immediately mm-hmm. by these big powers. Mm-hmm. It, it makes you think about the responsibility of these uh, more powerful countries, like I, I, you know, in today's world. But yeah, the the U.S. We were just like, um, no. again, trying to protect our own interests at the time. Sadly, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, everyone's in under this spell of racism and and slavery, and the and it's um, you know how how profitable it is. I feel like they had to have known to a certain extent, like at least the leaders of the movement on the ground, just like knowing that there were still French territories and states. And it's like, it's kind of like, well, it's like, is the United States going to aggregate their allies and like help us? Like, or not their allies, but like their neighbors. I guess, no, they were allies (laughs) at the time. I'm trying Mm -hmm. to think of my history. Um, You know, like, but I feel like it's like any revolution like that. It's like, you have to be prepared to do it again. And it's like, you just, you, you, I, Again, having never done it because they did it. And so I don't have to. Um, it's like, you know, but it's like any movement. It's like, you know, and this is happening in the States now. It's like you you have to be prepared to fight a war more than once because right. there's always the chance that, you know, yeah. somebody will come and take it from you. And and yeah. but it's worth it. And so they did it. And yeah, and it's so funny that anybody would even question like if it was successful. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know. Of course it was. <laughs> yeah. I know, right? It was badass. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if, 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 I, I, that's all I had uh, on my end to put up on the board. Uh, is there anything else that you, you feel like we've missed that we want to put up there before? I think we got a good, pretty good looking board. I see Alicia, she's thinking. I wonder who was the, uh, wondering about the transfer of power from the Spanish to the French, like oh, who right. essentially was the first to put, like to bring slaves there? Like was it the Spanish or was it the French? Because oh. I feel like in terms of like whoever, like it's that whoever did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna get Chris on that. I'm not sure that, and that's a great question to ask um, our guest expert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're right. It, how did how did that happen? Because the, it was definitely the Spanish who were there first. Mm-hmm. At what point was that treaty done? Where where they give they gave half of the island or a piece of the island to the French. Right. Okay. So just sort of skimming this, the Spanish obviously brought disease and they enslaved the natives, but it looks like it was the French who brought the slaves to uh, uh, Saint-Domingue. Yes. Okay. So do we want to just put, well, the French is, yeah, we just put France. (laughs) Okay. So why don't we take a quick break and then we'll start knocking things off the list. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, Chris, hit us. Okay, who's to blame for the inequality that led to the Haitian Revolution? Was it French colonial slave owners, dehumanization slash white exceptionalism, greed, imperialism, Christopher Columbus, the French, the French Revolution, hypocrisy or freedom irony, French <laughs> National Assembly, systemic racism, capitalism, Club Massiac, conscious indifference, execution of Vincent Ogier, Napoleon or European empires and the United States. Mm-hmm. I feel like right off the bat, we can start knocking things off that were just for mm-hmm. context, mm-hmm. like the French Revolution. Sure. Right. Again, again, that if anything, that provided um, mm-hmm. an opportunity right. for the revolution. Yeah, and I feel like Napoleon came later, even though mm-hmm. he was a, a big part of, you know, while it all went down. At the root of it, I think it's more things like racism, capitalism, imperialism, mm-hmm. the French, mm-hmm. Columbus, <laughs> you know? <laughs> The, the slave owners themselves, greed. I guess we can, uh, the, the uh, Club Messiah, Messiah, we can um, fold into, I'm not sure. I mean, well, they were the ones who were persistent. They right. were like the lobbyists too, like this yeah. is already happening mm-hmm. and they're Which like, Which is well. happening in the French National Assembly. And I think the execution of interesting. Oh, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like late in the game. Mm-hmm. Empire, the European empires in the United that States. That came after. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Hypocrisy. Could that be folded into a conscious indifference or vice versa? Right. Well, mm-hmm. the hypocrisy had to do, that was in the context of like the French Revolution and them mm-hmm. not putting it together that uh, equality should be extended to people who aren't right. white and in France. So, you know. Yeah, I think yeah. that could get folded into um, conscious indifference. Okay. Okay. Dehumanization, greed, imperialism. Greed can fold into imperialism, I feel. For sure. Mm-hmm. As well as capitalism, I feel like could fold into yes. imperialism. Just a note about Alicia, you were mentioning before. It's just absurd how actually not easy this is to figure out Mm -hmm. but it looked like in 1681 there were only 2,000 slaves in Saint-Domingue and and, uh, Saint-Domingue sorry Uh, and that was uh, the French took control in 1625 Mm -hmm. of the area and then in by 1789 there were almost half a million so when you talk about importing slaves it was on a massive scale. Yeah, forgive me for using yeah. that verb, but you, you know that it was done on a mass scale. Looks like by mm-hmm. the French. So Colonizers. the French are not the, looking. The French are not looking. Naughty, good. naughty boys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, guys, what are we going to do here? French colonial slave owners. Can that be folded into the French, or do we should we keep them separately? 
Well, it's like, are we going to blame all French or like, <laughs> or I mean, we could, I mean, like, there's room for that because they're just because you're not a slave owner doesn't mean you're not like allowing Part it to happen, and, you know, fighting for some yeah. kind of revolution or change. I feel like, yeah, the French is more so like the people in power in the country overall. Sure. And slave owners right. are more like the businessmen who are like capitalizing on Right. The fact that it's allowed. So they do feel like slightly different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So let's fold the French slave owners into the French. Yeah, into the French. Yeah. The French. Because it really, it's, yeah, the French right. people in it's power. Mm-hmm. Like Alicia said. Imperialism. Christopher Columbus. Do we want to, do you want to fold imperialism just into Christopher Columbus or vice versa? I know Alicia. You want Christopher Columbus in? I, I yeah, I'm like I keep him on I'm the board. I'm really ready to blame all of this. <laughs> <laughs> I blame everything on Christopher Columbus sure. um, for being an idiot. So let's keep him on that board. Who doesn't know where he's freaking sailing? So <laughs> I would love for him to stay on the board. Great, great, great. <laughs> what about the French uh, National Assembly? Uh, I mean, it, they are, they were the ones running the government, right? Mm-hmm. Was so that after the revolution? I th- believe it was after the revolution, yes. So we- or during the revolution. So this was already in place for, I mean, over 100 mm-hmm. years. So do we fold them into they the French have, then? They could have abolished slavery sooner, clearly. So there's, there's guilt there. Mm-hmm. Especially having just fought a revolution themselves. You'd think it would have been a no-brainer. But, so that's why, you know. But, uh, yeah, you're right. It, this, this is coming from a long time ago, so I think we can take them off the board. Conscious indifference. How do we feel about that? I mean, it definitely speaks to, like, a mental mind space that people existed in. Uh-huh. But I don't know. I mean, I love that term. It feels like it it's it's it goes hand in hand with dehumanization and white exceptionalism. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um I also yes. feel like we okay, so we can fold that in. Uh I, I feel like well, we have systemic racism up on the board. I, I, I we should have also just racism as well. Well, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I'm weird. adding things They're adding instead things. of <laughs> <laughs> things off. Cool. Okay. What do we have left? Yes. We've got dehumanization uh, slash white exceptionalism. Christopher Columbus, the French, systemic racism, and racism. This where? is a tough one. Yeah. I know. Ali- I know where Alicia wants. And she's gonna, I, I, I she's gonna plead she's her pushing case. Columbus. Right. <laughs> she's, she's ready to plead her case. Ready. Sure. I did debate in high school. <laughs> for this. this is your moment. Take it. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. What, what do you think, Alicia? Because I'll tell you where I'm at. Christopher Columbus and the French racism. <laughs> <laughs> Just How good old-fashioned capital R racism. <laughs> In terms but, okay. of original sin, racism is definitely... I mean, it's like, I feel like every episode of this podcast, like re- racism would be in jail ev- right. every time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because it is so, it's just a part of everything. Yes. It is. But I mean, I don't, I don't not agree. There is something to... Uh, let me just back up for a second. I mean, just trying to specifically brand this type of racism when you talk about 90 percent of the population being enslaved being slaves right Mm -hmm. to me the 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 word conscious indifference really rings true um because it just to me seems that how can you not look around at this reality and like alicia was saying before about how these slaves were treated and they worked they were this these conditions of 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 this work was so horrific Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think even compared to other enslaved peoples that I, I just think you have to have a certain something wrong with you with your mind mm-hmm. to exist in this place and to not feel like the, there's just grave injustice mm-hmm. all around you. So to me, conscious indifference 
rings really true. And I know because there's racism in that, systemic racism in that. There's dehumanization, obviously. But just I wanted to be really specific to this particular mm-hmm. place, um, which seems to be unique in certain regards. So maybe we can put conscience, conscious indifference back on the board and we're keeping adding <laughs> okay. things. This, this is, is, bad. This is we're where backwards. we're putting, go, putting things back on the board. We can blame Look, Christopher we're Columbus not gonna, for getting us there. Going with yes, that I do. <laughs> I, I feel like that deserves a slap. Sure. Okay. I feel like conscious in, in, indifference deserves the slap. And then I my what I go back to is, am I sending Columbus, the French, or racism to the to uh, the alarmist jail. I think take racism off because we have that built into this, the notion of like conscious indifference and the racism that exists in someone like Christopher Columbus, you know? Yeah. But then even just hearing yeah. you say that makes me think I'm like, like well, how we can can't. we take racism <laughs> off? Well, I, well <laughs> I do feel like racism is embedded in conscious indifference, but also in systemic racism as well. Um, but I kind of feel like, all of those things have to have perpetrators. And so right. people mm-hmm. are, you know, when you go this far back into history, then it's like, you can't have a social uh, paradigm of like, you know, systemic racism or any, any law that is right ra- without like a person doing that. Mm-hmm. It's like, they didn't just occur out of thin air. So right. that like, I'm, I tend to blame people yeah that's you know, more if it was specific. present day then it's like i can blame the system now because it's been around yes. for like hundreds of years but when you sure. go back as many people centuries. are also much easier to slap a pair of handcuffs on drag to the <laughs> maybe yeah maybe that's why uh racism keeps getting uh out we have right. to get we have to put columbus in <laughs> okay i'm gonna call it conscious indifference you're getting the big slap Christopher Columbus, you're going to the alarmist jail. Wow. That's a big one. He has I not want... been in there. Really? Let's clap. Wow. What? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I really want to clap. He deserves to be in jail. If I ever see him in the afterlife, it's on site for this guy. Like, I hate him so much. Because it's just like, he's the embodiment of like so many things that are wrong with like, just like privileged men in general. It's like he made a uh, massive mistake mm-hmm. and then he like failed up into making like a multi-billion dollar industry from that mistake mm. and then led other people to the mistake <laughs> and then they made more mistakes. It's just like, can you stay in your own lane for once? Oh, <laughs> it's <laughs> incredible. Like that's, this is, this is why I'm like, he, he did it because it was, four, what was it? 1492, yeah. you know? So it was before the French, it was before all the other yes. people. And he enslaved the locals, you know? So it's like, he set a precedent. Right. And, and they followed it. The original sinner. Mm. Yeah. He sucks. Well, alicia thank you so much for helping us today we really couldn't have done this without you in the aftermath of the revolution for empires around the world who relied on slave labor The success of the Haitian Revolution was a cautionary tale. The United States cut off aid and isolated Haiti, fearing that an abolitionist movement would spread. The United States did not recognize Haiti's independence until 1862. In 1825, France demanded reparations from Haiti and imposed a 150 million franc indemnity, forcing the nation to borrow money from French banks at staggering rates. Haiti became the world's first and only country where the descendants of enslaved people have been forced to pay reparations to the descendants of their masters. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and on Twitter at AlarmistThe. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early with fact-checking by Chris Smith and editing by Molly Hockey. 
thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Alex Paul. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the Erios Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the case of the stolen ruby red slippers. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.